This is Finding Joy, the Healthcare Professional's Journey to Wellness and Resiliency. It's a podcast resource developed by the Interprofessional Opioid Curriculum Team at Washington State University. The goal is to promote wellness among students, faculty, and healthcare professionals during challenging times. Funding is provided by the Health Resources and Services Administration. I'm Doug Nadvornik. The COVID pandemic has cast a bright spotlight on the people who take care of us. We've learned about the pressures they face and the abuse they endure. Each healthcare worker has his or her own story. This podcast explores one of those stories. My name is Deanna Diulio. I am a certified nurse midwife and women's health nurse practitioner. Midwives provide holistic care to women of all ages. People most often associate midwives with um, women who deliver babies, although it's, um, it, it is a heavily female-dominated job. Um, there are male midwives, and we do call them midwives. <laughs> Midwife uh, means with women. We teach them about themselves and their pregnancies and options that they have and try and be partners with them rather than being presiding over them and their pregnancy and dictating what will happen. We ask them what they would like and then try and meet those things with them. Like almost everything during the COVID pandemic, the relationship between midwives and expectant mothers has changed. Midwives have had to adjust their practices to protect the mothers, their babies, and themselves. In the very beginning, uh, when there was People who were potentially exposed had, you know, family members that were known and we weren't doing regular testing because that option just wasn't there. We were wearing all of the things. You don't achieve the closeness that we had previously. Midwives provide a lot of pregnancy support. And so there's a lot of physical touch and closeness that occurs usually in those scenarios. It just wasn't possible, you know. Uh, I would say it's marginally better now because we're testing everybody pretty much on admission. And so we know, but I'm still having to wear a mask. And if they are positive, I have to wear increased levels. And so still there's that physical barrier of not being able to get by, you know. Obviously, there must have been cases where you knew you were delivering a baby for a woman who was had tested positive for COVID. Mm-hmm. As you walk into that birthing room what do you think it's just fear it's when it's unfortunate because it's a beautiful moment right you're bring you're helping bring forth life into this world it's a magical moment to be able to be the first person who holds this child when they take their first breath you know that's amazing um but you go in and and in my severely sick women's room you're like okay well they're wearing a mask but man they're breathing out so hard and is does what i have on is that going to protect me am i going to be okay um i would come home and and take off everything and run to the shower before any you know my son or my dogs nobody came near me nobody touched me until i was fully clean so that I could make sure that I didn't hurt anybody. And that's, again, it's just a whole different level of things that we never thought about before. Being in obstetrics, things splash on you all the time, all sorts of bodily fluids and things. And you're like, okay, whatever. It's a thing. It's fine. But this is just something 
it's something. <laughs> if I was in a better place financially and I could say, you know what, I'm not going to practice anymore. I totally would, would have stopped practicing because it was just anxiety ridden days from wake up to go to bed and no way I couldn't go to the gym because the gym was shut down. So, you know, very little release of, you know, things that were my normal release of stress and anxiety weren't there anymore. So how did you deal with it? Did you eat? Did you drink? Did you walk? I did all of the above. I I ate way more than I should have. I drank way more than I should have. Um, and then I got to a point where I was like, this is not helping me. I cannot go on this way. It's, it's hurting me in a number of ways, um, mentally and physically, because I have chronic um, pain issues related to back injury from when I was a nurse. And so if I don't engage in the regular physical activity, I will actually start to hurt. So I started to build my own home gym and just started adding things as I could get them to help me be able to do what I was doing in the gym previously. That's like my number one go-to. Then number two, I would say uh, going out with friends and gathering, you know, I am Italian heritage. And so, uh, you know, when there is a problem or, you know, something existing, we all gather together and we have dinner and we talk about it for hours, you know. Uh, and certainly couldn't do much of that at all either. Do you consider yourself a spiritual person? Um, I would say yes. I do practice Buddhism, so I do meditate. I don't like to call it praying, but I guess that would be the closest connotation is to pray, but chanting and trying to establish enlightenment. But that's not a stress release for me. That's a habit that I feel like I employed, you know. Have you done more of that since the pandemic? I actually have done less, believe it or not. Why do you think? Um, I just feel like I couldn't physically sit still as much because I didn't have that activity release, you know, that I was used to. Um, and it's hard to, before I got into my new physical activity regimen, I didn't have I just couldn't find a still enough mind to be able to practice. How does that make you feel now versus then? Do you feel like you're in a worse place in terms of the cosmos, so to speak, or where where you're grounded in yourself than you were before? I feel like there was a gap. I feel like there was a gap in a period of time where I felt more unsettled, more um, unable to see the future and my place in it. But I feel like it's come back around, you know, now that I've gotten my routine back and I can do things more regularly and feel at peace, then I can practice my meditation and, you know, chant better with better release. Yeah. When we got to the point where many of us got vaccinated and it felt like we were finally over the top of the hill. did that change the way you did your job at all? Did you feel safer then in, in going back? The vaccination was a huge relief. It was a huge relief, but for a very brief period of time. I wasn't very happy with the amount of release and protocol that happened so fast. 
you know, the governor said, oh, well, we're nearly 70% vaccinated. So releasing of restrictions, you don't have to wear masks indoors if you're vaccinated. The population here, it's very conservative. And so there's not a huge driver belief in, in some of those things. And so the moment that, that he said, oh, masks aren't required if you're vaccinated, boy, everybody had no masks on. And so I was still wearing my mask because I didn't have faith in other people, which is also kind of a letdown, right? Like you want to have faith. You want to believe that other people are good at heart, but I know that that's not the truth. And so I was continuing to wear masks and a lot of people actually made fun of me for continuing to wear a mask. And I'm like, listen, I had a lung infection several years ago that still nobody has been able to identify to this day. And I'm afraid because this thing goes after your lungs. And so I'm not, even though I've been vaccinated, I'm still not ready to let down my guard. I did go travel though, um, because that is another huge um, way that I really find release. And, uh, you know, that's my happy place. Like, going and traveling to, um, Hawaii was like, as soon as I was allowed to do that, I was like, I'm doing it. I gotta go. How'd you feel about getting on an airplane? I was scared out of my mind, (laughs) but I do know my, my father worked for Boeing for uh, almost 40 years. And so I do know uh, quite a bit about the construction of those aircrafts. And I do know about the filtration systems and how fast they actually recirculate the air. And that to me was um, actually a little bit of a relief. I actually feel like the air circulation on um, the airplanes is better than it is in the hospital. So, <laughs> so while I was concerned about being so close to other people that I didn't know, um, I did have at least that comfort of knowing, well, the air filtration is really good here, so I'm probably okay. So... <laughs> Did you ever get to the point where you felt like, okay, maybe there is a um, a light at the end of the tunnel, that where you felt like you were safe? No, knowing things about viruses and and how they behave, it was funny when they're like, oh, just two weeks, and I'm like, no, that that's that's not realistic, and they're like, oh, well, like you know, uh, six months, oh no. I think in two more years, we'll probably be in a much better place. And that will be the return to normal that people are looking for. But it's not going to be a return to normal. It's going to be a new normal. There will be new habits that have been formed and will continue. Because there's just another one waiting behind it. So I don't think that there are some things that one should never let their guard down about, about like washing hands and like, if people are sick, they truly should not go to work or school, you know, and that has finally been recognized. We're talking with Tri-Cities nurse midwife, Deanna Diulio on the Finding Joy podcast. Describe what your new normal is in your life. Uh, my new normal is swabbing my nares if I come into contact with somebody who's been sick <laughs> um, and I was around them without a mask for any substantial period of time. Uh, your nares is your nose, sorry. Um, so I have had my nares swabbed so many times, I, I've lost count. So that's like something I never thought would be a thing. But yep, it's normal. 
like, oh, okay, potential exposure, fine. I'm vaccinated, but I'll go swab myself anyway. People are like, oh, well, can I see your vaccine card? Sure. I don't care. It's, it's not an invasion of privacy to me. I don't consider it an invasion of privacy. And maybe that's because I'm a medical provider. I'm like, I don't care. The PPE getting so used to getting that off and on and being just sweltering hot <laughs> um, when we're so, because sometimes deliveries aren't fast. So sometimes you're in there for an hour or two, just, yeah, feeling tropical. <laughs> um, and then just enjoying them while they're happening and knowing that there's not probably going to be any pictures around or just a couple that were snapped on an iPhone by a dad in the moment, you know, to, to capture them, knowing that I still experience them, the the, the parents, the mother still experience them. They still value that I'm there doing the things that I'm doing, even if they don't look exactly the same. So the name of this podcast series is called Finding Joy. So where and how do you find joy? In every moment that I can. When patients tell me, thank you for doing something, I tell them you're welcome. I don't just tell them it's nothing anymore because if that's special to them, then I want them to know that I recognize that it's special to them and that, you know, I am thankful for them allowing me to participate in it and that I'm happy to have given them that experience. Thank you for being so generous with your time. Is there anything I didn't ask you about that you wanted to say? Medical providers should not be scared to engage in therapy. (laughs) And most of us know a therapist. And if we can take advantage of some sort of something in this profession, asking another professional for courtesy, hey, can you get me in? Can you talk to me? That's important. Because we're like, oh, no, it's fine. I can handle it. You know, whatever. No, even if you're like, hey, I'm having a great, amazing time. I meet with my therapist at least once a month. If I'm like, I'm doing fantastic. He's like, good. Let's celebrate that you're doing fantastic. And tell me how you got to fantastic so that we can remember if we're start to not feel fantastic. What are the things that we can do to start feeling better about the situation? It shouldn't be discounted because a lot of medical providers really frown on that. Oh, well, that's showing some sort of weakness or something. It's not. I think it's a strength to be able to say, you know what? I can't handle this. I need somebody else to help me with it. How can I get back to feeling like me? Deanna DiUlio is a certified nurse midwife and women's health nurse practitioner at Alliance Women's Health in Washington's Tri-Cities. We thank her for sharing her perspective. The Interprofessional Opioid Curriculum also wants to thank the following individuals for their contributions to the project. Dr. Barb Richardson, a nurse, educator, and interprofessional champion. Cameron Cup, who created the Finding Joy musical score you're listening to now. He's a medical student in the WSU Elson S. Floyd College of Medicine. Washington State University staff for marketing and communications, from financial services, and the collaboration for interprofessional education, research, and scholarship. And Claire Martin Tellis, the executive producer of this podcast project, and student intern Solon Areff. They developed the first five episodes of the Finding Joy podcast. This episode was produced by Doug Nadvornik from Spokane Public Radio. 
If you're interested in sharing your perspective about wellness and resiliency as a healthcare professional, or you'd like to reach out to the Interprofessional Opioid Curriculum Team, please send an email to medicine.ipoc, that's medicine.ipoc, at wsu.edu. We also encourage you to visit the team's website at opioideducation.wsu.edu forward slash about. That's opioideducation.wsu.edu forward slash about.